Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, listeners. Tim Sylvie here. Don't worry. No more chat GPT introductions. It's a human one this time. Before we introduce today's guest, I have to wing my way through the airwaves to bring in a man who has a resident fox and various other wildlife frequenting his garden and often this podcast. Tom Gaymore, how are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. I've just seen a squirrel, actually, just dance over the wooden picket behind me. So if you do see any wildlife, yell. Was it a a black one, a red one, a grey one? No, it's uh, it's a grey squirrel. The the red ones are on their way out, I think, or should be coming back, hopefully. Good knowledge, good squirrel knowledge. I like our little wildlife interludes. Um, Shall I introduce today's guest? Go for it. Today, I'm delighted to say that we're joined by Simona De Silvestro, who at 18 years old made the move to the US to really push ahead in her racing career. Having been born in Tun or Thun in Switzerland, she forged a career through Formula BMW, Formula Toyota Atlantic and into IndyCar, where she excelled, picking up Rookie of the Year at the Indy 500. She joined the Sauber squad in F1 in 2014 before a stint in Formula E, Aussie supercars, and then finally a member of the Tagoya Formula E team with Porsche from 2019. We're excited to talk about her life career, thoughts and opinions. Simona, a very warm welcome to the Motormouth podcast. How are you? Thanks. Uh, very good, actually. And it's actually tune, oh. so you were kind of close, but it's it's okay. <laughs> I saw it on uh, on some website. I was like, oh, I don't know what that says, but I'm just going to go with ton or fun. But uh, tune, okay, got it. Rather you than me, Tim. I mean, I've made a career of making a, a mess of pronunciations from a, from around Europe. My French pronunciations are are the worst, and I lived there for two years. So, as I said, you? rather you than me. Oh, do you speak French? Oh, mais oui. Très bien. Très bien. Very good. Now, uh, what was life like back in 
I'm not even going to try and say it again. I'm just going to go with Switzerland. What What was life like for you growing up in Switzerland? Um, our last guest, actually, Roman Grosjean, also Swiss-born. Um, take us through what, what life was like for a young Simona. Yeah, well, uh, actually, I didn't spend that much time in Thun. I was only two years, and then uh, we moved to, actually to the French part of Switzerland. Um, and I don't know, it was a, a really fun uh, growing up. You know, I think my parents uh, were really cool as well. They let me try all kinds of sports. Uh, and uh, somehow I got uh, introduced to to racing a little bit and uh, uh, just really fell in love with the sport, fell in love with cars. And uh, I think that's uh, where it brought me to today. So, um, so yeah, I was really lucky that, uh, you know, my parents kind of let me try anything and uh, weren't afraid to uh, let me yeah, kind of do anything as a kid. <laughs> did, did you ever try downhill skiing or anything like that? Uh, I did ski, you know, I think in Switzerland, it's uh, pretty common that as soon as you stand up that you get put on a pair of skis and get sent down the hill. So, uh, yes, uh, that was tried when I was about two years old. Uh, and um, but, you know, my car, uh, my, my dad was in the, in cars, you know, he has a car dealership in Switzerland. And uh, um, I just, yeah, kind of really enjoyed cars, but definitely, you know, skiing is still a big part of my life. And, uh, but yeah, I didn't quite make it as a... As a as it's amazing the similarities and, and the comprehension of, of the line. So I've got a friend who, who was a downhill skier, Shemi Alcott, four-time Olympian, but, but her sort of comprehension of, of a racing line and, and, and where to be on a racetrack is, is, is very natural. And it almost is very similar to, to the downhill side of things because they have to be so far ahead. Yeah, I guess so. I, you know, I've never tried to go through gates, uh, so so maybe I need to try that and see if it is pretty similar. Don't do it at the speeds they do it at. Just, just start on the baby steps. <laughs> baby steps, baby steps. So when did motorsport first come on the radar? You mentioned your, your dad was into cars. Is that where this love of, of racing first showed itself? Yeah, pretty much. You know, we I think as a... He, as a baby, you know, we watched Formula One uh, with my dad, you know, we were on the couch and uh, he used to say I was only quiet when Formula One was on TV. So I think the engine noise was uh, something that really appealed to me. And, uh, you know, how it uh, really started, I think I was maybe four years old and um, he had an opening at the, at the dealership and he had a few go-karts there uh, for people to try out. And uh, I was too small to try it. Uh, so he took me on his knees and we drove around and I just really loved it. And I really wanted to drive by myself and I couldn't. So I threw a tent, tent room a little bit. And um, I think to calm me down, he said, OK, maybe if you're a bit taller, uh, you get a go-kart. So I kind of took that word by word. And uh, pretty much every two, three months, I would tell him that I grew a little bit. And um, I think when I was six years old, finally, this go-kart showed up. So I think um, for from a very young age, like I just, I was pretty into, into anything with four wheels, anything with wheels, you know, I like bikes and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, the go-kart made its appearance. So you started racing around or competitively around 2005, which is the same year that I started in, in motorsport actually. And in 2008, you enjoyed wins in the Toyota Atlantic series, finishing third in the standings. And it was 2010, when you made your foray into the States and IndyCar, how, how did that opportunity come about? Um, yeah, you know, it was really interesting. I, uh, I, I raced in Formula Renault in, uh, in 2005 in Italy. Uh, and then the move to the US really just came because I didn't have uh, the budget really to stay in Europe. You know, racing is all about sponsorship and um, 
and getting the right opportunity. And uh, it was, you know, I was kind of here and uh, luckily I found an American sponsor. And at the time, really, Formula BMW was a bit cheaper as well in the US than the European Championship. And it was just kind of the way to to go and do it, you know, and just uh, keep this dream alive, you know, to go racing. And uh, uh, so when I was 17, I moved to the States. Uh, my parents came with me, you know, and uh, uh, put me with the team and then they kind of left me there. But, you know, it didn't really matter because I was uh, I was driving a race car and I knew that was the only way that, yeah, this dream was uh, was going to keep going. So uh, this evolved really in, uh, in actually winning a race in the Formula BMW. You know, I think uh, I was also the first women uh, to podium at Indianapolis. Uh, because we were in uh, with the with the Formula One race there, and um, then the next step was a logical step to go into the Atlantic Series, uh, which you know I was had a really strong season in two thousand nine. I think uh, uh, we won four races, we had a few poles, and um, yeah, we were fighting for the championship pretty much to the last race. I was I think I was leading uh, the championship all the way to the end, so it was uh, quite exciting. Unfortunately, it didn't uh, end like we wanted to, but um, but, you know, sometimes things have to happen that way. And I got my shot in, in IndyCar. So, um, yeah, it was quite crazy because I think I was maybe, you know, 20 uh, when I think back, you know, I, uh, you know, to to be there. And uh, in IndyCar was uh, was super special for sure. Am I right in saying, Simona, that the, the Atlantics were paired with Champ Car and you weren't on the ovals until you went to IndyCar? Yeah, definitely. So my first ever oval was in an IndyCar. Uh, at Kansas and uh, to be honest it was uh, I think at the start I just lifted a little bit you know and I think you know all the cars just passed me so it, it was uh, really um, eye-opening because I'd never experienced it before and uh, and then you know getting thrown in at, in an indie car was uh, yeah it was pretty tough and uh, had to learn my ways around it but for sure you know I think the oval racing is a uh, can be really cool but can be really frustrating as well yes and it wasn't long before you had your first big accident on on the on the oval uh, at texas and you know texas is a, is is a very fast speedway and did you have before you went on the ovals any trepidation you know for the european races going over to america it, it's not you know it's on their mind it's on the radar that the ovals are very different and it's uh, that, that, you know there's risk that comes with the ovals yeah, well, at the time, you know, not really because, you know, I was, I don't know, I was 20. Uh, I was racing in Indy cars and, you know, I had to just get good at it, you know. And um, for sure, you know, I think, you know, if you mentioned, you know, that crash in Texas, it was uh, just a lot of confidence, to be honest, because, uh, you know, the car was pretty loose. And um, a lot of people kept telling me that you shouldn't drive a loose car on the oval. But, you know, I felt like in control, you know, because I'd never crashed on a noble or something like that. So uh, I came out of turn two, the two laps before, and it was already sliding a bit, but I kept catching it. So I thought, you know, it's uh, it's going to be fine. And the third time around, you know, I didn't catch it. So uh, it was just a big lesson, you know, and, and you know, like they say on the oval, there's uh, the people who've been in the wall and the people that, got, that are going to be in the wall. So it's uh, it just kind of happened and uh, you learn from it, you know, and I think what's difficult in the sense on an oval is that, you know, if you make a mistake or something happens, you know, it can hurt. And I think nowadays you don't really have that on a road course or anything like that. So I think uh, that sometimes 
mentally a little bit tough, you know, uh, just to 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 get over that, over that step and, and learn from it. But uh, yeah, I guess, you know, if you are racing on a novel, that, that day will come and, and you just learn from it and, and move on, yeah. Is it hard to mentally get over that little hump you know when you have your first big incident particularly in IndyCar where it happens all so fast and you're in the wall before you know it and having a car crash is a scary scary thing Um, whether it's in a racing car or a road car there's a lot of noise there's a lot of shock there's a lot of trauma on the body and then mentally how do you get yourself back up and force yourself to keep your foot down again the next time you go around that corner yeah it's a it's a, it's a hard I think a difficult exercise you know I think uh, for me you know if I look at 2011 when I had uh, my big crash at Indy um, that that one was a, a difficult one in a sense because it was the first time I got hurt in a, in a car you know before that I did crash but it did nothing really happen you know luckily and that time uh, you know, there was a really big fire and I really burned my hands pretty badly. And uh, um, it really, to be honest, it really spooked me because it was the first time I got hurt in a, in a race car. And uh, also, you know, I wasn't sure to go, to get back in the car at the time. So, uh, but then, you know, I kind of told myself, you, you know, I've been doing this for so long, you know, that's really, it's my life, it's racing. And, uh, and it was just like, okay, you know, I, I need to try it. And, and I tried it like, two days later and, and qualified the car for the Indy 500. But for sure, you know, in my head, it was hard. You know, I had to I had to keep telling myself, you know, if I still have a little bit of a smile after, you know, I need to push through it. But it's a, a, a long process uh, and it took a while, you know, to, to find the confidence again because what had happened, it was a suspension failure. So it was really out of my control. So it was just uh, getting used to, you know, having the confidence in the car, having confidence in, in the setup. And, uh, but for sure you had to just go a little bit further. You know, I remember we, I think the qualifying was pretty crazy because we, um, we hadn't run low arrow at the time, uh, before the crash. And uh, I remember I went out and did the first attempt and it was pretty, it was pretty scary because, you know, it's full commitment. It's four laps. I think the qualifying at Indy is the hardest thing you have to do in your life. Exactly. So, uh, so you just fully committed and we had, we had an okay run. And then I remember my engineer come to me and be like, Hey, look, we, if we take a bit of more arrow out, I think we can qualify today. And I was like, well, okay, let's do it. You know? And, uh, and I went out, I did the first two laps and I come into turn three and the car moves a bit. And that's where I had my crash before. So then it was just like, you know, I just told myself, I'm like, look, it's just one more lap. Uh, and, you know, I remember taking my left foot and just squeezing the right foot and just committed to that last lap. So, yeah, it's, it's a huge step. You know, it's a lot of commitment. It's a bit crazy, but you just got to go, go through it. And, I, and we did it, you know, and we qualified on that day. So it was uh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, you're engi- when you're doing the Indy circuit, that big oval and your engineer says, let's take a bit of the arrow off. So presumably that's take away a little bit of downforce. So, so that's going to make your car a bit more slippery, a bit more lively. Do, do you sort of go, yeah, cool. Let's, <laughs> let's get rid of that downforce and go even faster. Or do you just think, oh shit, like I'm, I'm, there's a good chance I'm going to bend this. Yeah. Well, no, you know, you, you really, you take you, you steps usually, you know, usually in practice, you go a little bit more, a little bit more, but for sure, you know, it's a huge commitment. And, and that's what I said before. I think 
in any racing series I've done, like this four laps at Indy are just so intense and so gnarly because, you know, you, the engineer looks at his computer, he's going to be like, okay, that's what we're going to do. And you just have to go out and do it. You know, it's not anything else. You just have to commit and, and get it done. And, and I think that just shows, you know, how the team is important and how, you know, everyone has to have the confidence in each other's ability to do it. But for sure, it's pretty gnarly. You know, even when you do rookie orientation or, you know, you go back to the speedway and you do have to do these phases, you know, you have to go 200 miles and do all that. And every time you get to the top level where you have to go flat out, it's just like, oh God, this is going to be crazy. And going into turn one, yeah, it's, it's a weird feeling because you just, you know, your brain is telling you that's pretty stupid, but you just commit to it. And then, and then you get used to it, to be honest. Yeah. But the, the qualifying with low downforce is, is tricky. I think Callum Arlott said something recently, just flippantly said, I'd love to go back in history and work and speak to the person that invented this and wonder what he was thinking. Um, and then there's a great video of testing recently of Marcus Armstrong standing on the outside of turn one with Marshall Pruitt and, and, uh, and he, his face, he was just, because he's not done it yet. And his face was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because last year was uh, the first time I went to the race, huh? And just to watch it because I'd always, I'd been in it always before, and I was watching it and I was like, "Oh, this is so fast," you know. And it's funny when once you're in the car, you just kind of I don't know, you get used to it. But when you're from the outside, it's just yeah, I think it's pretty ridiculous that the, you know. I was thinking, I can't believe I'm doing that, you know. Like it's a, it's yeah, it's pretty crazy, but. Pretty cool at the same time. <laughs> Just before we move on to, to say Formula E, this year you were really close to being the 34th car, to bringing Bump Day. We, we are going to have Bump Day this year. How how close were you and how disappointed are you that you just didn't quite get that programme together? I think you were looking, and Beth was looking for a partner. It didn't quite work out with ECR this year, but it would have been wonderful to have seen you on the grid. Yeah, it was, uh, this year is, uh, in the sense, a little bit strange because we had uh, we had this deal last year with, with ECR, which uh, was really good. You know, we did the four races with them and then uh, uh, the plan was really to keep going, but uh, a few things um, just on, on on the people side, you know, there wasn't enough people really to, to, to run the car, like this year and stuff like that. So it kind of uh, made it a little bit difficult and... Um, you know, I think it was just more a bit of the sense, you know, I, once we go, you know, I think we've done the Indy 500 once, we've done a few road courses. If we come back, you know, we need to grow. And uh, uh, and that's something that unfortunately for this year didn't, you know, that it just didn't align. And, uh, and you know, we sat down with Beth and uh, we're working really hard for next year to, to get uh, something together. And... Um, you know, ECR was, is an amazing team and, uh, you know, uh, we don't know where their road is going. So I think there's a lot of things in the pipeline right now to uh, for next year that is going to be really strong. And, and you know, sometimes you, you just need to, you know, be the grown, even though you want to be in the race, but uh, just how it was going to be was, uh, I think, going to be really difficult and uh, just didn't really, really make sense uh, to, to do it. So uh, I think next year is, uh, is going to hopefully look really good. Yeah. <laughs> And how important is it to have the captain on board, Penske's support, because they've been so pro um, the 
whole operation since the inception? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, been amazing. I think, to be honest, when in 2021, when I got the call, you know, uh, from Beth and asked me if I could be on a call with Roger, <laughs> you know, uh, tonight, at the night, uh, it was... Uh, he's, he's, he is just a legend, isn't he? He is, you know, he's he's amazing. I think, you know, I know him for, for a long time now. And even when I raced in Australia, I remember I had this race in Perth and he was there and I had a pretty good qualifying. And he walked all the way up to pit lane, all the way into my garage and told me, oh, good job, you know. So it's uh, it's amazing to to have some somebody like uh, Roger Penske, you know, kind of acknowledge uh, what you're doing and stuff like that. I think it's uh, it's pretty cool for sure. <laughs> One more IndyCar related question before we we move on, like Tom says, into to other things like Formula E. But we had uh, Roman Grosjean on the show last week, and we we were quizzing him about some of the best drivers that he shared a track with. And the name that he picked out right at the top was um, Scott McLaughlin. How highly do you rate him as a driver, having having probably kept an eye on him the last couple of years? Is is he is he right up there? Yeah, I think so because he is. You know, he comes from supercars, which is completely a different beast. And you know, he was really dominating there, and then he got into the Indy cars and picked it up really quickly. For sure, you know, I think he's in a good team. He has really. Uh, uh, good people around him, you know, and all that. But uh, I think, you know, even compared to to Joseph and Will, you know, he's doing really, really an amazing job. And uh, uh, I think, you know, there's not many drivers who can just jump into something and be really competitive. So that's, I think it's really remarkable uh, what he's doing. And uh, I think what is really cool about him, you know, he's a really cool person as well. He has a really good personality and, um, and I think it's it's good for the sport uh, in that sense. And uh, yeah, it's cool to see to see him do really well. I think my best Scott McLaughlin moment was his first win when he inadvertently fell out of the car and then got up and sat on the exhaust. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think it will just stay in the memories from everyone, you know. So I think everyone is nervous when he wins a race. You know what he's gonna do? No, I don't know. <laughs> Now, uh, let's let's turn our attention to Formula E. So we saw you in Berlin, actually. Um, we were there and uh, we caught up with you. We were just saying off air how I had to jump in and do a last minute Q&A with you after several pints of, of beer, which was an interesting experience. But I thought went well. I've been told it went well. I don't remember much about it, but thank you for that experience. Uh, what, what's your role with um, Porsche in Formula E, first of all? And then we'll just talk a little bit about that insane weekend in Berlin. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm part of the team as the, the reserve and development driver. So uh, uh, I'm sharing the role with uh, David Beckman. So yeah, the my role is kind of, you know, to be in the, in the sim, uh, doing some work, especially, or, you know, testing the car before it got homologated uh, during the off season. So um, that's kind of my role. And yeah, if anything happens to the main drivers, uh, you know, I would, I would be jumping in. So I'm still hoping for that yeah, day. Yeah. But, have, a crash. have it's, a crash. It's a bit difficult <laughs> in Formula E. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. sure you'll get there. But let's just talk about that uh, that weekend in Berlin. So, I mean, it's been covered quite, it's been covered very positively by the wider motorsport community on the whole. You know, over 300 overtakes, protesters on the track, packed grandstands. I mean, they could have had way more people in that venue and they would have filled the seats. Um, it was a double header. We had beautiful hot sunshine on Saturday, pissing down with rain on Sunday. 
it, it was a crazy weekend. What what did you make of it from being in a team from a team perspective? Um, for, as a spectacle, Formula E feels like it's starting to get there. Berlin really cemented that for me. What did you make of it? Yeah, I think uh, what we see with the this Gen Three car, the the racing is quite different uh, than what we had in the past, and. Um, uh, I, I think it's really interesting in seeing how things are developing. You know, like you said, there's so many overtakes, uh, so many strategies, you know, and um, I think it's 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 interesting, you know, and I think it's for all of us, even in the team, you know, now that we are aware how the racing is going at the moment, you know, it just opens also a little bit the perspective. You have to open your mind a little bit in how you are going to race because it definitely, I think this year... 
It's good. And Porsche obviously positioned quite nicely with Pascal, he's second in the championship, 20, 20 points behind Nick Cassidy. Da Costa not too far back in sixth and the team in second in the team's championship. So it's looking looking pretty good moving forward. What, one thing that that stood out for me on, on the not so good side was was the Monday rookie test where there were, I think, 23 drivers. And I was at an event um, on the Friday. Um, it was a team event, not a Formula E event. It was, it was run by a team. And there was a lot of talk about diversity and inclusion. And, and then one person said to me, it, it, this is all very interesting, good and well. But there's not one out of 23 drivers, there's not one woman taking part in the rookie test on the Monday. As a woman, which you are, how disappointed were you with that? Or is it just one of those things? It was circumstantial. We shouldn't read too much into it. Um, yeah, you know, I think for sure, I think it's disappointing because I think now, you know, I think there's quite a few girls out there that, are driving, uh, you know, if you if you look at last year at the W series, now at the um, at the F1 Academy thing, you know, I think there's a few drivers out there. You know, if you look at Jamie Chadwick, I think those are all people who could have, you know, gotten invited. I think it would have made a lot of sense. Now, uh, the ruling is, I think, is a, a little bit strange as well. You know, if you've participated in some, okay, you're not counting as a rookie, but um, I think, um, yeah, I think. I think it would have been cool to see one or two out there, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, it is sometimes also, yeah, like you said, it could be circumstances, you know, and people already committed to other things and uh, you, you don't really know, you know, if somebody got contacted and all that, but for sure, I think uh, it's something that uh, we need to push still more. I think there's a few good things happening, but still, you know, I think uh, when we get to the top level of motorsport, um, if it's in Formula E, if it's, you know, in F1 in IndyCar and all that, I think it's, it's still difficult um still frustrating you know i think uh uh it still can can be better you know and uh you know if we if we look at myself with you know with beth as well you know we've started something good but you know it's uh also not so easy you know it's not so straightforward like it should be sometimes and i'm sure you know susie wolf who heads up the new f1 academy has that connection into formula e. i'm sure she was aware of that as well and, and would want to change that you know you've got some some great great uh you know some big names at the, at the front of that f1 academy grid now yeah definitely i think uh i think it'll be uh, good to see how it develops you know at the end you know it's still formula four and you know we i think a lot of you know what we know what what the struggle is is usually after you know once you get to formula three formula two you know or when you get to indycar uh, or wherever you're going but you know those are usually the last steps that are missing you know if even if i look at my career um, you know, I've had good results, but at the end, you know, it's always kind of missing this last step in a good team, uh, in a in a long, you know, a few year contract as well, you know, to to develop as a driver. So uh, hopefully, you know, some of the girls that are going to come out there, they will get the support, you know, uh, for the the seasons to come and uh, the mountain they have to climb. You know, I really hope that that is going to happen because uh, I think that's really the only way. I think you're going to have somebody that is really successful, you know, if you give them the time and uh, give them the opportunity to grow as well and not, uh, you know, if they have one bad year, just forget about them. So I think um, that's uh, that's what we need to work towards. I think that's often overlooked is that continuity, that stability, that opportunity to develop. You look at Felipe Drogovic, for, for example, you know, it, it, it was stability and, and actually sticking at it and having that, funding to, to to be able to do that i think it's almost impossible to just 
filter from championship to championship, drop in and out and, you know, not have that. Look at Jamie Chadwick, for example, that the uphill struggle that she faces now in Indy Next because she's going into America to learn the tracks, to do it. You know, it's a huge amount of pressure. Everyone's like, she's got to be up there. She's got to win. She's got to do this. And actually, you know, she needs she needs time. And then people will say, well, look at her age. You know, time's against her. And it's just this never-ending spiral of pressure. But actually, it, it's a lot harder than it looks. And, and, and you know, most most drivers, male or female, would, would, would struggle in, in, in that space. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think... Uh... I think the perfect example is uh, is Marcus Ericsson. You know, I think now, you know, he's, I think, somebody who can win championships, somebody who can uh, win races week in and week out. And, you know, I don't know how many years he's in IndyCar now. I think it's at least four years, you know. And the, the first year he was there, I think it was a big struggle. And, and now he's just found, you know, the people that he's working with, it's working really well. And now, you know, he's really showing... Um, what what he can do and uh, and I think that's really what is important I think on the you know being female and all that you know sometimes it really always gets talked about you know it'd be great it'd be great and then you know but there's not really sometimes the help uh, behind to to make that happen you know even if I look at myself in 2013 you know I think I finished 13th in the championship you know in in front of Joseph and stuff like that and and now he's two times champion you know and I don't know. I'm not one of the IndyCar. You know, I'm not even in IndyCar. So, uh, so those are things sometimes, you know, I think in a career uh, that can be frustrating, but, you know, you keep pushing and, you know, even for myself, you know, I've, I've been away from it a little bit now, but, you know, I really hope that with Beth, we get something really strong together and, and, you know, can, can build on that. But, uh, but yeah, those sometimes, I think it can be frustrating and, uh, but, you know, you just, need to keep your head down and uh, hopefully times will change. <laughs> now, I want to touch on Formula One a little bit. Um, Formula One's in a slightly weird position for me at the moment. Like it's, it's grown tremendously over the last few years. As we know, there's, you know, all these races in the States coming online and um, Drive Survive has, has changed the face of it for a number of people. And there's a lot of new fans and there's lots of good things happening, but it feels like at the moment it's under the microscope slightly. Um, when you look at some of the mo more recent races and the street circuits that we've got, some of these modern street circuits, um, reduced DRS areas, changes to sprint weekends, um, new driver intros like we had in Miami with LL Cool J, which actually incidentally, I didn't mind too much. Kind of, kind of enjoyed the cringiness of it um, and seeing the drivers look a bit like, oh, I don't myself. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, there's a lot going on, but what's your, what's your take on current Formula One? Do you think it's headed in the right direction or is it just a bit muddled? Uh, you know, I think, um, I think there's cool things, you know, for sure. Like, you know, I really tuned in into the, the Miami race because, yeah, I wanted to see also, you know, all the hype that is around, you know. I think uh, I really watched the pre-race thing as well, you know, which I usually don't do. I just kind of tune in for the start. So, um I think it has positives for sure. You know, uh, now on the racing side, I think that can be better still. You know, I think last year was really exciting season. This year, unfortunately, it's maybe not as exciting because you only have one team at the front. Um, but, you know, if you look back at, you know, a few years ago where Formula One was and it is now, I think from a racing point, like I always loved Formula One because I grew up with it, you know, and I didn't really you know, that's what I was watching and stuff like that. But I think for 
the everyday person, you know, having this hype a little bit and this show, I think helps, you know, like we see like uh, a lot of new fans, uh, brings a lot of new fans to the table. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's an interesting one. I, I, I want to see more of those intros and just to make my mind up if I do <laughs> like it or not. Well, you know, at the, actually, what what I you know, I was watching the intro, and then you know, at the Indy Five Hundred, we also have an yeah. intro, like. But I think it's a bit more there, like in Miami. I thought it was a bit crazy, you know, kind of like what's really happening. But on one side, what I kind of liked, you know, and I think for somebody who's not really into racing, they actually get to see the person, you know, and I think, you know, they get to see the driver, you know, because normally they just kind of. There's a lot of people around the car, the drivers, so you don't really see that. Then I don't think that's a bad thing. Maybe I would do it a bit more yeah. classy. I liked, <laughs> I, I liked Will. I, why is no one talking about the fact that Will I Am just stood there doing the same move with his hand the hot, for like 20 minutes as the entry? So, so what? I know he wrote that song, or that intro song, but I was like, what? what is that? Like, what is he doing? Just that confused me. Confused me, Maybe Tom. Not going to lie. <laughs> I mean, I love the sort of you know that's why i love indycar because the the show that the americans put around sport i think really adds to the entertainment and and you know it, it the indy 500s just brilliant for that i'm also pulled into that argument being uh involved with sky sports indycar coverage that sort of argument that indycar is booming at the moment you don't know who's going to win a race the jeopardy yeah. the, the, the excitement and 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 obviously formula 1 at the moment there is that narrative about how to improve the show, you always know who's going to win, that kind of stuff. And, and there's a real debate going on, especially on social media, about what's best, how you can do it. But I think, you know, they're two very different series. What's your thoughts on that, Simona? Yeah, I agree. You know, like, you know, IndyCar, it's, it, it, I think it's super exciting right now. You know, every time I watch the races, I think it's it's amazing because you don't, you know, I think even Barbary, which is usually... Uh, attracted is pretty boring i thought it was a really good race and uh, um i think it's just different you know in the sense because it is more of a spec series you know the cars are just more going to be more likely to be on top of each other and more things can happen a little bit similar to formula e as well you know and and formula one just because you can develop so much you're just going to have this disparity between the cars and um and all that but that's what formula one has always been about you know it's about technology and 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 things like that and which team builds the the best cars so uh yet yeah, i don't know for sure it can be i think more exciting but you know last year i think it was a really exciting season in in formula one so you know i think it just depends which year you're in and uh, if more teams are able to to be right there you know imagine alonso now is going to be even more competitive you know and can maybe you know i think that'd be super cool you know already now it's cool that he's finishing third so I think, yeah, maybe a little and, bit. And Alonso, everybody wants him to win a race in the same vein that everyone wants Romain Grosjean to, to win a race as well. That they're, they're both they're both being pushed hugely by the, the fan base. That's wonderful to see. Yeah, I'm loving Alonso at the moment. He's cracking me up. He's doing some funny little things. He's he's clearly enjoying his racing and hopefully he does get that win. I mean, all we need is for, you know, the Red Bulls to take each other out and he'll probably get get that win um no we're, we're quickly running out of time so we're going to move it on to our final three and these final three questions we ask all of our guests and they're brought to us by our partners at wtf1talent.com head to wtf1talent.com if you're a budding f1 content creator and interested to hear how they can supercharge your career so uh, i'll kick off with the first one this week 
Uh, Simona, what's got you excited at this very moment? Could be anything. Uh, actually, my bobsled training right now. Oh, yes. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Wanted to talk about this. Yes. This is all over your socials. It looks completely mental. It is. It's, it's pretty mental. I'm suffering a lot in, tra- in, in athletic training, So, uh, but it's quite exciting little project, project at Sorry, squirrel alert. I have to stop. It's becoming a thing. There's, there, there was a massive squirrel. squirrel. I wasn't going to say anything, but we just missed squirrel. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry. How did we not oh, talk about Bob's... Bob's... We were talking about downhill skiing earlier. I know. Perfect team. I know. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah. No, it does look insane. And why? That is my only question. Why on earth would you put yourself through this? Well, so as a kid, I always... Every time I would watch the Olympic Games, I thought it'd be really cool to go to the Olympic Games. And um, then maybe like 10, 15 years ago, I was thinking, okay, you know, how could I achieve this? How could I get to the Olympics? And I kind of went through the sports and um, I figured, you know, driving a bobsled could be similar than driving a race car. Uh, and then, yeah, two years ago, you know, being, uh, I think at the time I was 32, I was like, you know, if I, if I want to do this, I need to... I need to try it now, you know, if I want to try to, to achieve this dream. And, uh, and here we go. So we are in this project now and uh, it's been going not too bad. Uh, I think we finished third in the, in the Swiss championships. So, um, so it's been a, a pretty good winter activity with uh, hopefully some big goals to, to be achieved. Yeah. <laughs> and can you choose the person you got in the back? Because they, they can sprint, hey, they, they, or, yeah, I need to find some some rockets, you know, for at the back. So, so that you know, I mean, that's what's actually funny about this project is, you know, I, I've been racing cars for so long, and you have these big teams and stuff like that. And now, you know, with this, I really have to handle everything myself. You know, I, I'm driving with this bus around from track to track. I'm trying to hire people, you know, fast uh, athletes. Uh, I'm trying to work on the bobsled, you know, with different people to make it faster so uh, so yeah it's a it's a it's a fun fun thing but really intense as well because you need to control everything but uh, it makes it makes it kind of challenging but fun at the same time there's a huge amount of tech because Sauber are involved aren't they with, with the German sleds am I right in saying or? well they they did build one uh, they did build one and I don't know maybe some uh, wind tunnel stuff uh, is happening now they so in the in the on the women's side you have monobob which is a, a single bobsled and two men on the monobob it's pretty restrained what you can do you need to buy the same sled for everyone and stuff like that on the two men you can do a little bit more things um so yeah, I think uh, this winter we'll be trying a few things, you know, that maybe work on a race car and maybe don't work on a bobsled. I don't know. <laughs> you know the commentator Martin Haven? He does all of the world endurance stuff. Yeah. Because he does the bobsled commentary. Does and it? actually, he's got a bad back for decades because he once went in the back of a bobsled and the compression completely finished him and his sort of mid-thoracic. He's about half a foot shorter now I think with bad back. <laughs> I, I can see that I can see that yeah well actually like last year when you know I was training a lot in in monobob and then finally I was able okay I can go two men and you know I had to call all my friends and be like so you know do you want to come bobsledding and they were all like oh how many times have you done I'm like well it's the first time you know <laughs> so they're like all kind of didn't didn't want to be the first ones but uh, I did uh, I did find some courageous friends who 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 committed to come? Courageous, yes, slash exactly, stupid. exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Love that. Tom, 
So I'm right. over to you for Shall number two. I ask two. question two? Yeah, go for it. How much of your success do you put down to the luck and uh, being in the right place at the right time? And how much do you put down to sort of hard work and grafting? And you've clearly got that in abundance because not only have you competed across the globe in the biggest sporting event in the world, now at 32, you've sat down and gone, I'm going to go to the Olympics. Um, so, you know, I, I think determination is really important for sure. I think that's, I think that's something that is going to bring you far, you know, if you, if you work really hard, uh, towards something, but as well, you know, I think being in the right place at the right time is a really important aspect. Uh, if I look at my career, you know, uh, when I think back 2009, I was really in the right environment, I had an amazing engineer, uh, at the time. Uh, the team really had my back as well, and uh, we were super successful. Um, so I think it's a, a bit of both. And I think people who at the end make it, you know, it's because they put the work into it for sure. Uh, and also, you know, don't get pulled down if some years, you know, nothing's happening and, and just keep fighting for it. And sometimes then, you know, a door opens again. So, um, so. Yeah, it's a bit of both, but, you know, I think the hard work and the stubbornness, I think, is an important part of it. So what you're saying is if you keep driving forward, if you keep knocking on the doors, you sort of make your own luck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, if I, if I exactly, if I, you know, I, I'm at Porsche now and, you know, I have Beth, you know, called me a few, two years ago. I never thought I'd be driving an Indy car again. And here I was, you know, back in the Indy 500 and driving a few road courses. So you never know what happens and you just keep being ready for whatever opportunity comes. Absolutely. Keep moving. Final one for you. And before we come on to this one, I have to send an apology out to some of our um, our listeners who who did submit a couple of questions, which we're unfortunately going to have to run out of time on, but I just to name check uh, Rasmussen, um, Sally San, uh, Jenna, MCC1, and Scalarandi underscore G. Apologies, we didn't get around to your questions. Maybe we can stick them on uh, social and Simona can, can answer them on, on Twitter um, and Insta. Uh, but, but final question from us, Simona. What are you scared of? Uh, it's not squirrels, is it? It's not squirrels, yeah. yeah. No, I didn't. <laughs> um, I'm actually, I actually don't like heights. Um, oh. yeah, I don't like flying and heights, so that's... Um, Something that yeah doesn't I don't feel comfortable with it. The ski jumping was out of the question when you. That were was out of the question, definitely. It's uh that would be no no a no go. <laughs> exactly. What was yours, Tom? When we had you on, what what was your thing? Your fear? Yeah, I I don't like heights. Uh, I don't like heights. flying either. So I can't remember exactly what I said, but but you know I do, I do share your um I do share your fear. Yeah. I won't go into mine again, the trichophobia or whatever it's called. It's just people think I'm weird. So I'm just going to leave it there. Uh, listen, Simona, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, thank you for taking the time out of your day. Um, all the best with the rest of the season, um, which is rapidly um, coming to a close in, in Formula E. It's, it's finishes so early in the year. It's, it comes around all too quick. Um, hopefully we see you um, once again smashing it in IndyCar um, on a more full-time basis um, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you trackside soon but for now thanks so much for joining us on the Motormouth podcast thank you 
Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official, and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans, and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast. <laughs>